Good morning, everybody. Really, we are glad that you're here to worship with us. And um, I had a thought, and it escapes me. It had to do with basketball, but it escapes me. So I hope you come out and play some basketball. And let's pray together before we kind of move into this morning's message. And we're going to continue this series that we began last week. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we, once again, we just thank you for uh, all that you're doing in our lives. We thank you for uh, your great love and your power. Thank you for the things we're looking at this morning and how um, knowing you better really helps us to live with a certain perspective and confidence in you. And it helps us, Lord, to deal with some of the anxieties and worries and um, challenges that we face in, in this life. Lord, help us to know you as you are, not just... Um, we don't want just a figment of our mind to, to grow. It, it, we don't want to create you. We don't need to uh, um, define you on our own terms, Lord, but we want to know who you really are. So, God, I pray that as you um, have revealed yourself to us in the Bible, Lord, that we would understand what it has to say to us. Lord, illuminate your word to us. Block any distractions this morning that would prevent us from really listening and hearing from you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we, yeah, last week we launched this series on who is God and why does it really matter. Um, knowing about God's identity impacts pretty much everything in life. And so the more you know about God, the more, imp- the more you recognize how that impacts the life that we live. And last Sunday we started by looking at how God is all loving. Um, and we just walked through what Scripture has to say about the fact that how about the fact that he is an all-loving God and what that means, why that matters to us. Um, I just want to keep everybody on the same page. So here is just a brief review of what that means. Um, He is the source of all love. And so all love flows from him. There's nothing, you know, love is not just existing in the world without God. He's the source of it all. His love is giving. What that means is that whenever he sees a legitimate need, he acts. He activates love. He takes initiative. Um, he's also, his love is forgiving, which is very different than um, the way that we oftentimes love, or we withhold forgiveness from people, or, or we draw a line and we say, I've had enough. God, is, he is forgiving. Um, he's gone to great lengths to pay for our sin. And so he forgives those who will um, trust Jesus with their lives. And that's how we receive his forgiveness. And we, lo- we looked at that last week. Also, his love is, is without malice. What that means is that God's judgments, they flow out of his love, not out of an evil intent or a, or a desire to harm us. Um, but when he does judge, it flows through his, his love, the fact that he is an all-loving God. And then uh, we also looked at how he is, his love is unfailing. It does not end. It's consistent. It's persistent. Um, he doesn't let go. He doesn't, he doesn't give up on his people. And when we learn this stuff about God... Um, it's helpful, but unless you experience his love personally, then um, this stuff is just information. And so we invited you last week to experience God's love. And if you've not yet done that, I want to encourage you to take that step um, to experience his love, begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. And and then once you do that, you're empowered and you're enabled to um, love people in a very different way. We give more, we forgive, we, we find ways to love without malice, uh, we, we can be consistent. And so his love, once we experience it, enables us to love others in a different way, in a, in a much better way. Um, each week as we look at these characteristics of God's love, I want to encourage you to keep each aspect of who he is 
keep those in the back of your mind because God is true to his character all of the time. And so he is always all loving, but he's also always all powerful. And so we're going to look at that this morning. Um, When you get to know somebody new, when you get to know a friend, they reveal more of themselves to you over time, don't they? Uh, they, hopefully they do. You know, hopefully they just don't talk your ear off and tell you everything about themselves the first time you meet them. But they they reveal a little bit, you know, little bits about themselves, and you, you it's always fascinating to learn something new um, that you didn't know about an old friend, isn't it? And, and we all have those friends that um, they're good at everything. Um, they're just good at sports. They're good at you know everything. And so you sit down and you're like, oh, I'm finally going to beat him in this game of chess. And it turns out he just hammers you in chess. He knows these positions and these moves to do. And you're just like, man, not even chess. What about video games? No. You know, Super Mario Brothers? No. Mike Tyson's Punch-Out? No. He can beat that too. Man, you know, Halo? No. And over and over you start seeing, wow, this person just is good at everything. And you're like, pogo sticks. You know, I've got him on this. And he, he was a pogo stick champion in high school. And you just... And you start learning more and more. Wow, I didn't know this. How are you just this unbelievable person? Well, this is in some ways how God has made himself known to us. He reveals more of himself to us over time. He has, from the beginning of time, progressively been making himself known to, to humanity. And because Adam and Eve just didn't instantly know everything. you know. And, and then the early patriarchs of our faith, they didn't know everything about God. And so he has been progressively making more of himself known to humans. Uh, this is the way that we come to understand who God really is, is a little bit at a time. Um, a little bit at a time in this life, because you don't know everything about who God is in this life. We move into eternity, and then in eternity we know him fully. And it's hard to get our minds around this, but you may think you know a lot about God, but we're only getting you know, bits and pieces in our uh, human understanding. Um, it's not that he's changing, but as far as what he has revealed to us, we will know him fully um, in eternity. It's not that he doesn't change. Um, but a- as humans, we're immersed in God's creation. This is one of the ways that we learn about God, is we live, we live on this earth that he has made. And so because of that, we're immersed in what God has made, this, this world that, he, that he's created. We see the mountains, we see the trees, we see the oceans and and just these vast oceans, and we get from God's creation this general sense that God is all-powerful. We get to see this characteristic of God just by existing and living on this planet. We learn that God is an all-powerful God. Romans chapter 1 talks about this, about God's all-powerful nature. In verse 19, it says, For what can be known about God is plain to them. Um, them meaning people in general. It's really talking about the wickedness of all people. But really, if you look at this passage, he's talking about in general, this fits all people, all humanity. For what can be known about God is plain to them, or it's plain to all of us, the people in general, because God has shown it to them. God has revealed his ways to us. Um, verse 20, for his, for God's invisible attributes, okay? His invisible attributes, those things you can't see, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. What that's saying is that God you know, has revealed even those invisible things through what he has made to those of us who live in the world. Um, we're without excuse. He says they are without excuse. All people are without excuse of, of knowing that there is a God and that he is a God of great power 
and love. As you take in creation, you get this general sense of the power and the, um, the majesty of the one who made everything just by opening our eyes and by taking it all in. A couple of months back, I mentioned this article from Time Magazine. There was an article titled this, Why There Are No Atheists um, at the Grand Canyon. And you can see the article if you, there it is. Why There Are No Atheists at the Grand Canyon. And it was a study highlighting, you know, how when people experience the wonders of the world, the natural wonders of the world, they, they get a sense of awe. And if you've taken in some of the natural wonders of the world, you're just blown away. You're in awe. It's awesome. It's, this, this study concluded that awe makes people want to see that events are the result of design, intelligent design. That's what the conclusion of the study was, that awe leads us to believe that someone designed all of this. And so whenever our mind drifts towards the one who designed the world, and created the universe, our heart is gripped. And we, we get a sense of his sheer power. We start grasping, wow, this God has tremendous power. Um, and this is what the book of Romans is talking about. It's saying that you realize the one behind the creation of the world is one of great power. And he's divine. Far beyond my ability, far beyond any human abilities um, is God. And so the Bible, as we read through it, this is like God's autobiography it fills us in on all the important details about our Creator. These are the things He has wanted us to know about Himself. And so, um, listen to how He refers to Himself in the last book of the Bible, Revelation 1.8, speaking still of, of God's all-powerful nature. It says in Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Uh, this is the first and the last letter of the Greek New Testament, or of the Greek alphabet. And so, at the end of the New Testament, God he says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Okay, In a sense, the beginning, he's the, he, he created all things. He'll wrap everything up. He's in the middle of everything. He's all in between as well. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to look at a belief known as pantheism in a few weeks. So not talking about God is in everything, like he's, he is this stool. and um, That's a very different belief. But he, he, <clears throat> he has an eternal nature. He, he, he started everything, and he'll wrap everything up. That's what this I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Um, it's interesting fact about that verse. My great-great-grandmother, her name um, was Alpha Omega Og. Didn't know her, but um, her name was Alpha Omega Og. And I, I asked my mom, why did they name her that? And she said, well, she was the only child. So she was the first and the last of that family. But God is not, he's not Alpha Omega. He's not just a beginning and end of some chapter in a book. He is the Alpha and the Omega. That's really important to understand. Um, it says the Lord. It goes on and says, who is? It deals with our present. Who was and who is to come? He is the Almighty. There's a ton that we could... Just unpacking this little statement, but for our purpose today, we see that God refers to himself as the Almighty. Okay? This word deals with this power. We need to understand that God rules over all creation. Creation and us, we don't rule over God. In the first book of the Bible, God, um, in, in the book of Genesis, we get a glimpse of God's almighty power. 
He's the God who has the absolute power to be able to speak and world, worlds come, you know, the world comes into existence out of nothing. He didn't take what was there and then, you know, and then, and then shape it into something. He spoke out of nothing and, and things came to, to being. No artist. Now look at this quote from, from R.C. Sproul. He's a, a theologian. He said this, No artist can speak to his paint and create the Mona Lisa. Leonardo da Vinci, he, he didn't just walk up and say, Mona Lisa, become. And it just all of a sudden appears. And it took four years for him to paint the Mona Lisa, this masterpiece. The quote goes on, and, and R.C. Sproul says, that no, or a sculptor would be called a lunatic for standing in front of a mountain and commanding it to turn into Mount Rushmore. Have you ever seen Mount Rushmore? Anybody? A few people? I mean, it must be a spectacular um, sight to see this. But, but who could just do this by it? Yeah, it would be crazy if a sculptor, you know, just started shouting at this thing and all of a sudden it appears. Um, this took 14 years to build. Mona Lisa, four years to paint. Mount Rushmore, 14 years to build. Quote goes on, R.C. Sproul says this, Human beings cannot change the course of nature or bring things into existence by sheer talk. But God can. His voice is almighty. It's just amazing. God's power, His majesty that He has displayed in His creation. Only God has the power to create out of nothing. The things that He comes up with are awe-inspiring. And when God uses the phrase, who is and who was and is to come, to describe Himself, He's saying, I'm eternal. I've always existed. I, I always will. And I'm almighty, meaning I have the entire universe under my control. It's not out of control. When someone has absolute power like God, then their character matters a great deal to those of us who have far less power. I'll say that again because it's really important to understand. When someone who has absolute power like God, his character matters a great deal to those of us who have far less character, or far less, well, character too, far less power. This is why the world gets concerned when a nation obtains atomic power or atomic weapons, right? If it gets into the hands of a ruthless dictator, then that can be terrifying for everyone. And so the good news is that God's power, it flows through His love. He is all-powerful all the time. He's also all-loving all the time. And those work together. God's power flows through His character of love. Here's a, here's a brief video clip from um, a movie called The Case for Faith. And we actually have books in the back on this for, for our first-time guests. But this this movie explains how God uses his power in a way that's consistent with the rest of his attributes, the, the rest of his character. They, they work together. Um, let's take a look at this. To understand the biblical view of evil and suffering, we must first consider an apparent contradiction in five core beliefs of Judeo-Christian theology. God exists. God is all good. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. And there is evil in the world. It appears that there's a conflict between uh, God's goodness and God's power. If he was good, he'd want to get rid of all evil in the world. And if he is powerful, he'd be able to. But evil exists, and therefore he's either not good or he's not powerful. There's a lot of confusion about what it means to say God is all-powerful. Many people think that means God can do anything. But the Bible is very clear 
that there are a lot of things God can't do. For example, the Bible teaches that God cannot swear by a name greater than himself. The Bible teaches that God cannot lie. It isn't that God just chooses not to lie. It's that he can't lie. C.S. Lewis once said, can a mortal ask questions that God finds unanswerable? And he said, yeah, quite easily. Um, is yellow square or round? And how many hours are there in a mile? And uh, if you extend that a bit, yes, God can't make a square circle. So there are all sorts of things that God can't do because they'd be illogical or nonsensical. So when we talk about God being omnipotent, what we mean is God can do anything power can do. But we don't mean God can violate the laws of logic and do something contradictory. Now that's just like two minutes on this, but you can catch this for free on, on YouTube. and um, or, or you can check out that book in the back and, and it'll give you some more of this. But the idea here is that God's power, sometimes we we get hung up on this idea God is all-powerful. Well, then why this? Why can't he fix this? Or why? And, and they begin to go into that. I'm not going to go down that road right now, but if that's something that interests you or if you have those questions, check out the rest of that um, the video online. But the idea here is that God's power is not spinning out of control. If it were, and if it did not flow with the rest of his character, the fact that he's all-loving, then we would be terrified of God. If God was only all-powerful, but not an all-loving God, then we would be shaking in fear of how that power might come after us. Um, but it's not spinning out of control, meaning he can do everything that he promises and he wills. It's within his will. When, and when we think of what God's power could do to us, we oftentimes want to minimize God's power. Like, yeah, I know God is all-powerful, but my life is too difficult, or, or I hope he doesn't see me doing this and... and his power doesn't isn't leashed, you know, unleashed towards me because of what I've done here. Whenever we think about what God's power could do to us, we want to minimize it. We want to reduce His power. But when we think of what God's power could do for us, we hope that He will act on our behalf. We want Him to unleash His power on our behalf. The good news is this: is that God uses His power for those who give their lives back to Him. Very important key thing from the Scripture. God uses his power for those who give their life back to him. God did some amazing things in, in the lives of his people. He did some amazing things for the people of Israel in particular. He used his power at important times to deliver his people. Uh, you probably have heard of the story of the Israelites fleeing from the Egyptian army. They're heading, the, this is their old owners. Basically they were enslaved and then they were um, led out through the exodus, led by Moses. And so they, they, they're, they're exodusing, they're leaving in a sense, and they're, they're leaving this land that they were, known, that they were captive in for, for years. And, and their old owners decide, we're going after them. We can't afford to let this group of people leave. We're depending upon these people. So they chase them down, and they're catching up, up to them. They arrive at the Red Sea, and Moses, you know, with his staff, he parts, God parts the Red Sea. Huge amazing display of God's great power. And this allows the Israelites to escape on dry land and the Egyptians are swallowed up by the Red Sea. That's a time where God's power is working on behalf of his people. Those are the, those are the times we want. I mean, that's the time I want. It's like I'm about to get to a car wreck and then all of a sudden God sets a force field and like, 
I just fly on through or, 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 you know, I, you know, I don't know. That was kind of a lame example, but I can't think of another one. But, but we want those times where God uses his power on our behalf to fix things that are broken, relationships, um, to accomplish goals that are really noble. We want his power on our side. Um, but then there's times where um, God's power Though it's available, it's limited because of how we're acting, what we're doing. So during the the people of Israel, you know, at this point when God parts the Red Sea, it's working for them because they're walking somewhat in obedience. Well, there's later on during their uh, history, there's this rebellious stage that they head into where they turn against God. And God sends this prophet named Isaiah to explain to the nation of Israel, here's why you're experiencing all these dire circumstances and half of the kingdom was under siege. The other half was divided and just rapidly declining. Look at what it says in Isaiah. This is the message God sent through his prophet Isaiah to the people of Israel. He says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. Meaning, it's not, it's not that his power is the problem. Verse 2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. His power is being limited. And your face or your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. At this point in their history, God had the power to help them. He could hear their prayers, but he chose not to help them. He explains why. Take note of his explanation. He says their iniquities had blocked the flow of God's power. Their sin had cut off the flow of God's power on their lives. The reality is he will only help those who line up their lives with his purpose and line up their lives with His will. This is very important for us to understand. If we want God's power to be working on our behalf, we need to line up our life with His purpose and His will. God helps God, you know, helps people, but His help comes to those who trust Him. And so faith, faith is the gateway to God's power. We looked at this last week in, in some regard, but establishing faith, coming to know Him personally, this is the gateway for God's power. If we turn to God, we turn our lives over to Him, and we put our lives in His hands, He uses His power on our behalf to do what He's promised to do. Look at this promise. The same chapter, Isaiah 59, where He's saying, you know, your iniquities have separated you. You've been cut off. Later at the end of this, He he prophesies. Isaiah talks about what's going to happen for the people of Israel in the future. He says, And a Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob. He's speaking to the nation of Israel. A Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob, who turn from transgression. That's who gets this redeemer, you know, who gets to experience the, the power of the redeemer. It's those who turn from their transgression, those who turn away from sin, declares the Lord. Jesus was that promised redeemer that's being prophesied here. His life, his death, his resurrection, that's, that's the love of God and the power of God toward us. If you ever want to see how, how does God's love, his, the fact that God is all-loving and the fact that God is all-powerful, how do those things kind of work together? The place where you look is the, is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. God's love, His absolute love, is displayed by Jesus' death on the cross. That's an expression of God's love. And God's power is displayed through the resurrection of Jesus because that's the power of God working to raise Jesus from the dead. That's where God's love and power meet, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, again, this is all just information. Why does this matter? Why does this all matter to us? For most of us, we look at who God is and His character, that He's all-loving, He's all-powerful, but then we look at our own circumstances and the things that are out of order, the things that are broken, things that we're depressed about, the things that we still hope for. 
and we get depressed, maybe even ticked off. I want to show you a brief video from the movie Bruce Almighty where Bruce is reacting because of his circumstances. He's angry. So let's take a look. Thank God you're all right. God, yeah, let's thank God, shall we? For his blessings are raining down upon me. Wait, that's not rain! Bruce, please don't do that, honey. You know that everything happens for a reason. That I don't need. That is a cliche. That is not helpful to me. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. I have no bird. I have no bush. God has taken my bird in my bush. Oh, I see. So, so God is picking on you? Is that what you're saying? No, he's ignoring me completely. He's far too busy giving Evan everything he wants. Oh, that's great, Sam. But you missed your target. I'm over here! Get mad at the dog. It's not the dog's fault. No, it's God's fault. I gave him the wrong coordinates. All right, you know what? Enough. All right, will you just stop being such a martyr? I am not being a martyr. I'm a victim. God is a mean kid sitting on an anthill with a magnifying glass, and I'm the end. He could fix my life in five minutes if he wanted to, but he'd rather burn off my feelers and watch me squirm. Sweetheart, I know that you're mad. It's completely understandable. What Evan did is slimy and wrong. But this day could have been so much worse. I'm just glad you're okay. Okay? Newsflash! I'm not okay. I'm not okay with a mediocre job. I'm not okay with a mediocre apartment. I'm not okay with a mediocre life! I'm sure some, you know, maybe all of us can identify with his frustration or some of his thoughts there when life isn't going well. It's neat to know all the stuff about God, but why does it matter? How does that help me? Well, he's missing something. There's something missing in his perspective, and oftentimes there's something missing in our perspective, and that is a willingness to trust God, a willingness to actually rely on him with our life and to wait and to put our full hope on hope in him. These truths are only information if we refuse to trust Him. So the key is trusting. So we can rely on God. We need to rely on God to help with our greatest challenges. Now this may seem obvious, but this is, this is what makes the difference. Choosing to rely, to put your life in His hands. Anytime we choose to just go around God or get angry at God like He's doing on this, on this clip or leave God out altogether, what we do is we move towards a place of self-sufficiency that is probably one of the most dangerous and desperate places to find yourself in. Again, when you start, when you take God out of the equation, you move to a place of self-sufficiency. I'm fine on my own. But that's probably the most dangerous place to be in because our strategies fall way short. I want to show you three areas that we do this, three common man-made strategies. First, we try to control people. We try to control others to get what we think we want or what we think is really best in the situation, that's one of our strategies. We, we'll manipulate people. We'll, we'll hurt people. We'll lie to people. We'll tell people a part of the truth, but we won't tell the whole truth. We'll use anger. We'll react at people. We use all sorts of methods in order to get our way. We try to control. This is a man-made strategy that we try to do to fill in the gaps of what we think God is not doing. So we, we choose to go our own way, and here's our strategy. We control people. But our strategies, just like in this video clip with Bruce Almighty, our strategies only blow up in our face and start destroying people, start destroying, you know, we start doing damage to ourselves. A second man-made strategy is this. In worry and in anxiety, we try to figure it out ourselves. We allow our emotions to, to snatch our focus. 
Because what happens is when we become consumed with trying to find a solution, we start looking for a solution. I'm a guy. I like to fix things. When there's a problem, I want to get it done and fixed and be over it. I don't want to talk forever about it. I want to be done with it. And so, but what happens is we start looking for solutions to our problems. And what that does is we get consumed with looking for a solution. And it snatches our overall focus and we slowly lose concern for what God really wants. We lose concern for what is important to God. One of Job's friends makes this comment about putting our confidence in ourselves. Look at Job 8, 13 through 15. His friend says this, Such are the paths of all who forget God, meaning who don't include God in the solution. They leave God out. The hope of the godless shall perish. That's pretty bleak. His confidence is severed. The person who does this, anytime we do this, his confidence is severed. His trust is a spider's web. Now, a spider's web, the picture he's giving here, a spider's web is very fragile. You know, sometimes you go up to a spider web and you're like, wow, that thing is, you know, but you'd never go and lean on it. You'd never go and jump into it hoping it's going to catch you from, you know, a cliff. There's a spider's web. I'm going for it. You'd never do that. A spider's web is very fragile. It won't hold you up. But he says, that's what we trust in. Our man-made solution is like a spider's web. He leans against his house but doesn't stand. He lays hold of it, but it does not endure. This is just a picture for us of wasted emotional and wasted mental energy on, on things that don't stabilize us. Those are man-made strategies. Another man-made strategy is this. The last one is we put hope in things with no real power to help us. Stuff of this world. Psalm 115, verses 3 through 8. The psalmist writes, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. This is a, this is a verse about God's omnipotence, His power. God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Now, this is contrasted to the rest of this passage, which is about man-made idols. Look at the rest. It says, their idols, speaking of man-made idols, are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. For those who make them become like them. So if we start constructing things that we'll put our hope in, we become just like those things which are powerless, is what he's saying. So do all who trust in them. There's no power there. The psalmist is declaring God is the one who's in charge of all things. He has the power to create out of nothing. He can direct. He can intervene. He does whatever pleases him. We're tempted to put our hope in the stuff of this world that we can see, and we're hoping it's going to bring things together in our life. A few years ago, I had an emergency savings account or an emergency fund in my savings account with enough money to pay for one month's worth of bills. And that's what all the financial experts tell you. You need an emergency fund. You want to have a couple months of, of emergency savings in there. So I, I had saved up enough for one month. It wasn't like you know the total goal, but I had one month of emergency savings to pay for you know my bills if I didn't get a paycheck. or And this was early on in... in us starting our church here and so there were times when paychecks would be late to our staff and so once I had this emergency fund in place I sure felt a whole lot better about my life I could sleep better at night my stress was down because when the paycheck was delayed if I get the phone call yeah you're not going to get a paycheck for a week oh that's okay online transfer into my checking account write my bills oh here's your paycheck it's a week late that's fine no big deal 
put it back in the savings account. I could just function like this for years, technically, right? Um, but the reality is I had put my trust, that was my spider's web. I was spinning the web of security, and my trust was in my emergency fund. And so I really didn't need God to come through. I, I had come up with a solution. I'm not against emergency funds. You should have one. They're important. Things will break. I guarantee it. Um, but for me, that represented a spider's web that I was leaning against. And, and I had a plan that was working. It was supporting me, it seemed, for a season. And at the same time, uh, we had some unexpected bills come up. There were some dental bills and car problems. All of a sudden, I've got debt. So now I've got debt in about the same amount that I had saved up in the bank. And so I'm paying my debt basic minimum for a few months because I'm still wanting to work my plan over here. And then all of a sudden I started realizing I should pay off this debt and trust God to be my emergency plan. I should trust God to, to, to cover, to take care of us. Um, and so that was probably one of the harder checks I've written in my life was to write that check over here and to pay off the debt over here and to have zero over here as an emergency account. But what I've found to be true is that God has never hung us out to dry. Never. I mean, I can... My kids have never... And the Scripture talks about... You know, my kids have never been begging on the corner for bread. You know, and oftentimes we get... Whatever the spider web is for you, if it's financial security, if it's relational security, if it's, if it's just putting your hope in stuff that you think, if I just had that new this, that new car, that new piece of technology... The problem is we put our hope in things that are man-made and, and things just keep breaking and things change. Technology changes. So just when you get the new car, they just release the new model. Someone has a faster car than you. We've got to deal with that. And so rather than responding by putting our hope in more new stuff that is just made by human hands, we should do this. We should surrender to God's plan and God's purpose. This is, this is the point. Our God is an all-powerful God. He wants us to surrender to Him and to His plan and His purpose. This is what a man named Job declared when he found that every other solution that he could come up with was insufficient. He said this, Job 42.2. He said, I know that you can do all things, speaking to God, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. This declaration that Job is making can be our own Commitment to trust the God who is able to handle even the greatest challenges that we face. Imagine what, what God could do through us if we would fully surrender to him. He's an all-powerful God who wants to work on our behalf, but we have to commit to his plan, commit our lives to his plan and purpose, surrender to him. We have to abandon the man-made strategies and surrender to him. I want to invite our, our worship team and our ushers to... Um, to prepare to receive this morning's offering. And I'd like to invite you to take out that connection card. And on the back of it, you see these next steps. Just as a way to respond. Here's three next steps. You might have one that's already kind of jumping out at you as far as how can you apply this morning's message. Maybe there's uh, one of these that fits, though. Memorize Job 42.2. That's that verse there. I know that you can do all things, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Or ask God to show me any man-made strategy that I rely on instead of him and his power. What's your spider web? What is that for you? I gave a picture of how finances and emergency fund was that spider web for me. What is that for you? What are you putting your hope in? Or, or this last one. Take some time this week to just praise 
and thank God for his love and for his power. Let's do that right now. Let's pray. Father, again, we just are, we live in gratitude for you and for what you've done. Your love and your power was displayed at the death of Jesus and his resurrection. Lord, if there's people here that have not yet surrendered to you, Lord, would you, would you bring that about today? Lord, if people are ready to surrender to you, I pray that today would be the day. And Lord, I, I ask, Father, that you would continue to help us to trust on you, to not lean on ourselves, to not lean on our spider web solutions, but to put our full hope and trust in you, a God who is all-powerful and all-loving. And you are true to your character all the time, and we can rely on you. Lord, it requires faith on our part. And it's not just faith for the minute, but it's daily choosing to, to walk with you in obedience, to living a life of faith. God, help us in the areas that we're struggling and stuck. Help us with those barriers that are right before us to, to, to do what would be pleasing to you. We invite you to unleash your power in our life for your purpose and your plan. For those of us here that want to do the things that are important to you, God, would you empower each one of us here to do the things that really matter in this life? Pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.